1 to 20. It is in the bulletin here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God... The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman, put, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some from the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants for the field, of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his, Eve, his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is God's word. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Uh, we have been making our way uh, slowly through these earliest chapters of the Bible here in Genesis, uh, and we have camped out here in Genesis 3 for a couple of weeks now. This is our third and final week in Genesis 3. There's still much, much more that we could look at and we could uh, ponder together. There's so, there's so much depth in this, uh, this chapter, but we can't stay here forever. For those of you who are visiting with us uh, this morning and, and, and are wondering maybe what on earth is this church doing reading these old weird stories, myths from the past and talking about them and thinking about them and isn't that sort of old-fashioned and, and, and hasn't all that stuff been kind of, uh, what's the word, maybe 
debunked as uh, irrelevant for today's modern culture, well, let me just say, uh, no. And in fact, I'm, I'm in good company. Many of you have heard of a guy named Jordan Peterson. Uh, David Brooks, who is one of my living heroes, uh, argues that David Peterson is, or Jordan, sorry, Jordan Peterson is actually one of the world's most important public, influential public intellectuals currently. And David Peterson says we ignore these old, David Peterson, Jordan Peterson says we ignore these old stories at our peril. And that in fact, if we want to understand this world, if we want to understand how it works and we want to understand uh, why we are the way we are, we need to understand what these stories teach us. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, we're looking through these stories to understand the truth about the world in which we live, or what we're calling the true story of the world. Now remember, the first audience to these stories were pagan, right? They were, uh, whoa, what am I doing, what am I doing? They were, uh, they were pagans. They were uh, living in Egypt. Pagan is, is a term, by the way, that's used to describe uh, people who believe in all kinds of gods that are largely connected to the natural world in some form. So, so the Egyptians were pagans. They had all kinds of gods. They had the god of the sun. They had god of rain. They had god of land. They had the god of pestilence. They had all these gods. And the Israelites were freed from that world. They had lived in there for 400 some odd years. And now they're being reprogrammed by Moses, their leader, who's introducing them, reintroducing them to the true God, the real God that reigns over the entire universe. And so Genesis chapter 3 is part of that story. It's, it's meant to help them understand what on earth went wrong. What went wrong, hey? What's wrong with the world? It's pretty self-evident that the world is a mess, that it's screwed up, that it doesn't work the way it ought to work. But why? And what we have seen so far is that uh, the reason the Bible says that the world is so messed up is because human beings, starting with our first parents, Adam and Eve, but every human being since then has done the same stupid thing, we have believed a lie. And that lie is beautifully summed up in the poetry of a man by the name of John Milton. He wrote a, an epic poem called Paradise Lost, an absolutely remarkable piece of literature in which he has the character Lucifer say this. It's on the front of your bulletin. "'Tis better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven." That sums up the problem with the human race. We would prefer to reign over our own lives and decide for ourselves what is right and wrong and how to live than submit ourselves to God, even if it meant we would know heaven. If you want me to unpack that, you'll just have to go to the interweb because I can't do that again this morning. We've got to move on. But we're going to look at another truth this morning that this text, uh, chapter 3, opens up for us. And we need to know this truth if we want to live wisely in this world. If we don't want to be naive, nobody wants to be naive, right? It's like one of the worst things when you're an adult and you discover you're naive about something. You think, oh, I really feel stupid. None of us wants to, to be naive. We want to be wise. And what we need to know is this. 
It is quite obvious to us that the forces of evil in this world are very powerful, that the forces of evil in this world are very complex and difficult to understand. But one thing that we also need to realize, and Genesis 3 teaches us, is this, that the forces of evil in this world at bottom are intelligent. Or to put it another way, there is actually a supernatural source of the evil that you and I experience and observe in the world around us. If you look at verse 1 of our passage, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And if you go to the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, you discover this. It says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end of the Bible, we learn that there is this being, this, this very, honestly, I admit, he's mysterious and we don't know a lot about him, but there is this angel called Lucifer who fell from heaven because of his arrogance, because he wanted to be God himself, and he, he tried to usurp God's place, and he was thrown out of heaven. He is a fallen angel who was originally named Lucifer and is now named Satan or the devil, and he is a supernatural evil being who is at work in this world. That's what you need to know. And some of you are probably sitting there going, are you kidding me? Here we are in the 21st century in modern Western culture, and I am sitting in a room listening to a man trying to convince me of the devil, the devil, right? The, the devil. And when you conjure ideas in your head of what that looks like, yeah, it's horns, and it's red tights, and it's a stupid tail, and it's a pitchfork, and, it, and it's all this kind of stuff. And he possesses people and he makes their heads twist around and stuff like that, like in uh, The Exorcist. Is that what you're trying to convince me of? And the answer is no. I don't believe that, but I do believe in the devil. And Jesus Christ, who, even if you don't believe that he's the Son of God, he is considered one of the top five, if not top two, if not top most influential person in the history of humanity, he believed in the devil. So is he naive? I don't think so. I think that the Bible teaches that if you don't believe in the devil, you're naive. If you think that all that was behind the Holocaust was Hitler and the Nazis, you're naive. Or if you think that all that was behind the slave trade was racism and greed and economics, that that's all there was to it, you're naive. Or if you believe that what's behind your addiction or what's behind some of the horrible things that maybe you have done in your lifetime that you find somewhat inexplicable, frankly. You think that all that's behind that was just, you know, your own personality and your own circumstances. The Bible says you're naive. 
And if you don't get this, if you don't understand that there is this supernatural source of evil behind the evil that you and I even experience and perpetuate ourselves, you will continually be defeated over and over and over and over and over again. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at why we need the devil. There's an outline in your bulletin. And I know that sounds weird. (laughs) Why we need the devil. But that's one of the things we're going to think about. We're going to look at the devil's tactics. And we're going to try to understand how we can avoid being defeated by the devil. How how can we fight the devil and, and not be defeated by the devil? Those are the three things we're going to look at. And if we have time, we're going to take a couple questions as well. Here we go. First of all, we need the devil. And you say to yourself, what do you mean by that? Well, in 1995, a very prominent secular Jew by the name of Albert Del Bun- or sorry, Andrew Delbanco wrote a book. And in that book called The Death of Satan, he argued that modern Western civilization has, because it's gotten rid of the idea of a supernatural transcendent evil, is no longer has the resources to actually face evil. So this is what he said. Listen to this. A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. So what he's saying is, Evil is obviously there, you can see it, you experience it, it's, it's clear to you, but secular, so, so, so secular, modern, intellectual people, we, we understand that evil exists, we see it in the world, and, and, and it's quite self-evident to us, but we don't have any resources for actually combating it and dealing with it because we've gotten rid of the notion of the devil. Well, that's an interesting Prospect. How does that work? Well, he says that, and, and basically he's, he's riffing on a guy named C.S. Lewis, but, but he says that there's basically two errors, okay? There's two errors that the world falls into when it comes to the devil. It's, the one is, is that, is that that phone? Well, that's never happened yet. Interesting. I gotta know. Does, is there call or call display on there or what? No, it doesn't say who it is. It's the devil calling. (laughs) Stop talking about me. Um, Actually, that is part of it. Uh, Let me get back on track. Um, Here's the first error. The first error is to basically say that the devil is the whole problem. The devil is the whole problem. So this is the idea that, 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 you know, people say, well, the devil made me do it. You've heard that phrase before, right? Or uh, it, it, those of you remember Family Circus cartoons? I used to love Family Circus cartoons. And, and they had these three ghosts in the Family Circus cartoons. And they were, they were um, I don't know, not me, and nobody. And those were the three ghosts that had all, did all the bad stuff in the house and broke things and, and made messes and stuff like that. And when the mom would say to the kids, you know, what happened here? I don't know. Who did it? Not me. Who's responsible for this? Nobody. And the idea is, is that the devil is the, is the one who is fully and completely responsible for everything. We are simply victims of the devil's schemes. So that's where the weird stuff that you see in movies comes from. The idea of, you know, demon possession and the devil sort of takes control of your body and, and you become sort of some kind of robot or, or, or just tool in the, in the devil's work. 
Now, obviously, that's not the problem that we have today. That was a medieval problem. There were people in medieval times who did believe that that is exactly what happened. And, of course, they didn't understand things like psychosis the way we do today. They didn't have modern psychological categories for a lot of the stuff that that we understand. And so it's somewhat understandable that that could happen on occasion. But in our modern world today, if if people over-believed in the devil in days gone by, where they, they wanted to make sure they swept their house of all the evil spirits and they thought that the devil hung out in corners. Have you ever heard that? You know, should always build a round house because the devil hides in corners. Today, we underbelieve. Today, we say that there is no devil. There, in fact, there is no supernatural. There's no supernatural good. There's no supernatural evil. There's only the physical world in which we live. Evolution answers every question about everything. All there is is what you can see with your eyes. And so, in our context, evil is actually reduced Evil gets shrunk down to things like evolution or psychology or sociology. So, for example, uh, when we look at, at, at uh, problems in our world, we say, well, you know, the problem is, is well, people are violent because it's in our evolutionary nature and we need to uh, develop beyond that and we need to evolve beyond that. Or we say that someone does a violent thing or does a horrible thing because it's purely psychological. The problem is is they've got repressed emotions and that has led them to, to, to perpetuate some sort of, of evil act or crime. Or we say it's sociological and so it's a result of economic dep- uh, uh, deprivation or something like that. And evil is no longer a moral problem, you see. It's been recategorized in these contexts. And what that means then is that the solution is not a moral solution. The solution is recategorized as well. So if the problem is evolutionary, maybe we need better education. And if we can educate people more, they'll commit less crime or they'll be less wicked or they'll they'll take on less... uh, 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 Forget that part, they'll take on less. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, Or if the problem is psychological, if we can teach people to to parent better and we can raise our children better, then that will protect them from evil and perpetuating evil. Or maybe we need to redistribute wealth better in our, in our, in our societies. And, And if we do that, then we can overcome the evil that we see in the world. In other words, the pro the none of these actually deal with evil as such. Do you see? They reduce evil not to a thing itself, and I know we're getting a little philosophical here, but that's okay. You guys are all philosophers, you know that. But we don't believe in evil as such. We believe in it as some kind of, some kind of, of, of consequence of other issues. Sociological, psychological, political, economic And that's a far cry. I don't want to steal his thunder, but you're going to hear from Mark next week. He's going to preach on Cain and Abel and that story. And it is absolutely fascinating that after Cain commits his murder, God, or sorry, before Cain commits his murder, God comes to Cain and he warns Cain and he says to Cain, listen, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. God personifies evil as though it's a a thing in and of itself. Now, I'm not saying evil is a thing in and of itself, like that you can pour some evil into a glass and drink a cup of it, but I am saying that there is this supernatural personality behind evil. 
And without that supernatural personality behind evil, we can't even really define it and understand it as a thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's point one. So how does the devil work, point two? What are his tactics? If he's there and he exists, how do we deal with, or or how how do we understand him? I mean, we make choices, don't we? Is it even our fault? Like, if, like, if you believe in the devil, is it, is it possible that you're going to move into this, we're all victims and it's all the devil's fault kind of thing? And that's true. There is a danger. But if you understand his methods, you realize that that's not the problem. What the devil does is, is the devil stirs up evil within us. He works a little bit like the ring in the Lord of the Rings, you, many of you are, are familiar with the Lord of the Rings. If you didn't read the books, you at least watched the movies. Or if you didn't watch the movies, you at least heard about it. And if you didn't hear about it, then I don't know what to say to you. You need to hear about it somehow. The ring in the Lord of the Rings, what it did was, when you put that ring on, it amplified the sinful desires that you had. It stirred them up within you. Okay? And that's precisely how the devil works. Look at our text. We're finally getting to our text again. What he does with Eve is, is he plants a lie in her. He doesn't overpower her. He doesn't threaten her. He doesn't terrify her. He deceives her. Look at verses 4 and 5. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In this one statement, the devil essentially unleashes in Eve, he unleashes in Eve everything that's needed to destroy her. He implants this doubt in her mind, deep into, the, into her heart, and he says, can you really trust God? Like, look at this tree. This tree is beautiful. Look at the lovely fruit in this tree. And it's, it's good for obtaining wisdom, and wisdom is a good thing, obviously, right? And you're God's child, and God doesn't God want you to be happy? You see, it's a subtle trick. And he does it all the time. It is common, but it is so effective. You know, he actually tries to do the very same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. Go home and read Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 today. In Matthew chapter 3, at the end of it, Jesus is baptized, and the Holy Spirit rests upon him like a dove. And then in chapter 4, we read that that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert. And after 40 days, or sometime during the 40 days, depending on how you, you interpret that, in any case, the devil comes and he says to Jesus, who's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he says to Jesus, he says, hey, pretty hungry, eh? Turn those stones into bread. I mean, if you're the son of God, just do it. And he's not testing Jesus to find out if Jesus is the son of God, okay? Jesus, Satan is smart. He's known the son of God for a long time. He knows who the son of God is. He knows that's precisely who Jesus is. And he says, look, you're hungry. These circumstances you're in, Jesus, they suck. Hungry, thirsty, in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights. Why should you starve? Take matters into your own hand. You know, there's no good reason for you to suffer like this, Jesus. 
It's the very same thing he, he does with, with Eve, and it's the very same thing that he does with you. There's, there's a circumstance in your life. It's not the way you want it to be. It's not the way it ought to be, perhaps. And the devil comes to you and he says, you know, I, I, thought, you're, I thought you're God's child, right? How did this happen to you? You know, you're going to church, you're serving, you're giving. There's no good reason for you to suffer like this. There's no good reason for you to, de to deny yourself like this. Now, Jesus, he doesn't fall for it because he says to the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But Eve, she fell for it, hey? And she did what you and I do. She corroborates the lie. It's very interesting. He plants this lie in her mind and in her heart, and what does she do? Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She reasons herself into disobedience. Now, come on. Isn't that you? How is that not you? It is so me. There's something that you want. Maybe it's something that you don't have that you want. Maybe it's a change in the circumstance you find yourself in, but there's something that you have set your heart on. You reason that this is a good thing. This is an excellent thing. You test it maybe against the Word of God, or maybe through prayer you, you bring it to Him. You may even get a sense in your spirit, the Holy Spirit working in you and saying, no, no, no. Not now, no, uh, not this way, no. But what do you do? You start gnawing on it. You start chewing on it. You start turning it over. And you are so good at arguing with yourself. You're so good at telling yourself, well, I kind of deserve this this time. Or I kind of, I kind of, I can kind of get away with it because I haven't done it for a long time. Or, or, you know, I can use this to get something good in the end. Like, ultimately, this will be for God's glory. It's just got to kind of tweak it for the, for, the, for the time being. But it'll turn out well later on. Oh, man, I, you know, I used to smoke. I just told you what every smoker does when they fall off the wagon. It's precisely what every smoker does. And pick your problem. You do the same thing. Now, it's not the only way the devil works. He, he has other he, 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 he tweaks it a, a little bit. Sometimes he says to you, you know, when something bad happens to you, when you, maybe you've done something horrible or something horrible has happened to you, and he comes and he whispers to you and he says, how can you be God's child? If this is the way your life is going, that, that can't be right. Because deep down in your soul, you think good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So if bad things are happening to you, you must be a bad person. Some of you maybe like Sound of Music. Sound of Mucus. That's what, uh, who's, the, who's the guy who is the guy? Christopher Plummer. That's what he called it, the Sound of Mucus. He didn't like it himself. Uh, but... There's a place in The Sound of Music where Miranda, is that her name? Maria. Yeah, Miranda, that's a little too, 
<laughs> a little too modern a name, probably. Eh? Miranda, no, uh, Maria, where she, she's reflecting on all the amazing things that had happened to her, and she starts singing, and she says, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. That's naive, friends. I know it's common, but it's naive. Look at Adam and Eve. They're in paradise. They have no problems. They have no reason to believe the devil, and yet they do. And look at Jesus. Perfect life, perfectly obedient life, did everything right, never once disobeyed his heavenly father, perfectly moral. His circumstances were pretty lousy, weren't they? And yet he never, ever, ever once fell for the lie. Why? Well, it's not just because he's Jesus. Like, don't just say, well, I mean, he's... I think sometimes we think that everything was so easy for Jesus because he was like Superman, right? Like life, yeah, Superman could confront some guy trying to rob a convenience store owner because he wasn't worried about getting shot. You hit, hit a fire a bullet at him and it bounces off. That's pretty easy, right? And I think sometimes we think that that's what Jesus' life was like, that because he's the son of man, he's like Superman and he could do whatever he wanted. And, you know, if, if, if he ran into trouble, he just do one of his super things. But that's not what the Bible portrays. The Bible portrays a man who understood his enemy and understood how to defeat him. Listen to what it says in John chapter 8. This is what Jesus says about the devil. He says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not, on, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He knew who he was dealing with, and he knew how to deal with them. How's that? That's the last point. How do we deal with the devil's tactics? How not to be defeated by the devil? Notice I'm saying, not saying how to defeat the devil, because it ain't in you. We're saying how not to be defeated by the devil. And that's the first point. You can't... You cannot overcome him on your own. He's smarter than you. He's been around a lot longer than you. He's more powerful than you. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Every time I've seen a human being and a lion in a battle, the human being comes out the worst for it, right? And so, in our text, we discover that, that there's two things that got to happen. If we're going to be wise, we need to believe in the devil, we need to understand his tactics, and we need to not be defeated. How? First of all, you need to seek the presence of God. After the fall, God comes to Adam and Eve, and he does not leave them alone. He chases them down, and we read that he curses the devil, right, in verses 14 and 15? So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He, he rescued Adam and Eve with his presence. It's the same thing when Christ went into the desert and he was tempted by, by the, the devil. He was in the, in the desert with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit led him in the desert, into the desert, and the Holy Spirit was with him in the desert. And the amazing thing about the gospel is, is that when you believe the gospel, God promises that the Holy Spirit doesn't just, doesn't just bring his presence with you, he actually brings his presence in you. He empowers you. He's not just with you along the way, he is actually inside you. Okay, so what? <laughs> so the Holy Spirit's in me. What does that mean? Well, he does something, okay? The Holy Spirit's job, if you read the New Testament, is to press into your heart the Word of God and to make that Word of God an actual power in your life. If you look at the story of Jesus in the desert, what, is, what, is the, what does Jesus do? He resists the devil each and every time with Scripture. He knew his Bible. Just read Matthew 4 and you'll discover that. And so you and I, through, you, through having the Word of God pressed into us by the Holy Spirit, we resist the devil. We are able to, to fight back against his lies with truth. Jesus in John 17, he's praying for his disciples, he's praying for believers, he's praying for all of us, and he says, sanctify them, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And, and we all say, yeah, we need to know the Bible. What does it mean to know the Bible? We don't understand what it means to know the Bible. I'm going to tell you right now, here's what it means to know the Bible. It means to know the truth as it speaks to you in your circumstance and in your situation. You've got to understand these words of God as words to you. Listen, when Adam and Eve fell and God came to them with his presence, he came to them with his word as well. And it was his word for them in their situation. Think about this. They were in paradise. They had everything their hearts could ever desire. They were living a life of perfection and in perfect relationship with God. And they screwed it up. They completely blew it. The whole world is a mess because of them. And God curses the devil. But then at the same time, he redeems Adam and Eve. Because he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. In other words, evil will finally be defeated. But it will be defeated through Adam and Eve. What a word of grace. Think of that. They're sitting there and they have blown it. They're looking around them. I don't know what it was like. All of a sudden, weeds popped up everywhere or mosquitoes started biting them and they hated it. I don't know what it looked like, okay? But it was bad. And in the midst of the bad that they did, not the ghost nobody, not the ghost I don't know, not the ghost not me, but them, and God said, I will turn this back through you. It was a word for their hearts. And you need that word for your hearts too. So listen to the word. Here it comes. The devil comes to you and he says, boy, your life is pretty hard right now. God must not love you. And the cross of Jesus Christ screams, yes, 
he does. Romans 5, verses 2 to 5. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Not for our suffering. We don't say, yay, give me more suffering. But in the midst of suffering, we still rejoice. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The devil comes to you and he says, God's holding out on you. If he would let you have that thing, you'd be way happier. But he's stingy and he's saying no. And the cross of Jesus Christ says to you, that's a lie. And with all due respect, that's a damned lie. Because in Romans 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And the devil comes along and he dares say to you, There's no way you can be forgiven, not you. What you've done is beyond the pale. And the cross of Jesus Christ says that's a lie. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Do you believe that? Adam and Eve believed it. And here's how we know they did. In verse 20, in verse 20 it says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And a friend of mine once pointed out, that's a statement of faith. Everything looked so bleak. And then Jesus, God pronounced this promise on their lives. And what does Adam do? He responds in faith and he names his wife Eve. She would be the mother of all the living. Life was going to be the final word, not death. There is hope. There is hope then and there's hope right now. Believe it. Pray with me. Father, teach us to believe Teach us to believe the promises of your word against the lies of the devil. Help us to know deep in our soul that evil will one day finally be, be defeated and it can be defeated in our lives now as we hold on to you. Grant us that faith and that determination we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.